Welcome to Society Superheroes. I'm Luke Lamprecht, and in this podcast series, we celebrate the men, women, and organizations who've dedicated their lives to empowering communities and who work tirelessly to improve the lives of others. Hello, I'm Karen Lundy. Luke and I are excited to curate conversations with superheroes and to shine a light on the incredible work that they are doing. We will be using International and World Days established by the United Nations to educate and reinforce achievements in humanity. These days are the perfect springboard to create awareness and to raise actions. We will be sharing stories of hope and inspired active citizenship as we shift consciousness. Today is the 5th of September and it's International Day of Charity. It was declared by the United Nations General Assembly in 2012. And the reason for the date is that it was to commemorate the anniversary of the passing of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. And it's very apt that we're actually choosing today to launch Society Superheroes because the purpose of the International Day of Charity is really about raising awareness and providing a common platform for charity-related activities in individuals, organizations, as well as volunteers. And this is exactly what we are hoping to achieve. So, Luke, this certainly has been an extraordinary year with the COVID pandemic. And charity certainly alleviates the worst effects of a humanitarian crisis and spreads the message of humanity in conflict situations. And I think for all of us, we found ourselves in a conflict situation. may not have been a war in terms of with guns, but it certainly has been a war in terms of our mental health and our economy and just really being pushed so far out of our comfort zone. What do you think is the good, the bad and the ugly during COVID? What have we seen with charities who've really, so many of them, saved the day? I think the first thing is that it very much was warlike. So if you if you take our experiences on the kind of in the inner city of Hillbrow, what happened that essentially when the um, when the state started locking things down, they locked a lot of things down to children. So they would lock down the school, not recognizing that from that flows the fact that millions of children who are on school feeding schemes are now not being fed. You know the fact that you have got parents in homes who now cannot work. That stress impacts the children. Then when we started entering the streets, then there was this massive military presence. There was this whole idea that if you don't abide, there would be these punishments. I mean, there were times when we were in the in the city trying to get children out and fit that we had the army kind of, um, you know, kind of parading and moving around to keep public spaces empty. So children for me around that did not did not really understand what it was that was that was happening and why suddenly it felt so military and there was all this restriction of movement etc so what the charities did i think in terms of coming together is saying unfortunately that a lot of the charities response was due to the fact that the state had not fulfilled its mandate to protect the rights of children under the pandemic and as a result the charity sector stepped in. The one query I kind of did put out to people saying, you know, we, we need to think about what the word charity means because it's really about those that have almost sort of giving to those who do not have. And in these sort of states of national disaster or emergency, what is happening is that there's a sense that we are giving to you. And I think that what really arose from it was the, the meaning it is to be the person giving. So the charity is not seen as this martyrdom exercise where I'm giving up something in order to assist. It's I'm doing with people so that we ensure a, a much more socially cohesive society. So during 
with and not for. I think in terms of languaging, and we've had this discussion so many times, is the languaging around charity. And I think both you and I are not crazy about the word charity. It's quite interesting where it started. So Mother Teresa called her organization the Missionaries of Charity, and that gave rise, obviously, to to, to the day being called the National International Day of Charity. I think what's also quite interesting is that if we picture or if we conjure up an image of Mother Teresa, she was this tiny little wizened lady, very kind, very wise. I think the photographs were very carefully planned. Um, she was also a really shrewd businesswoman. And in an interview that she once did, she said to the journalist, she said that um, I am a businesswoman for the destitute and the dying. And I mean, he was very taken aback because he didn't expect that from an old nun to, to have said that. And she went on to explain that where she sees opportunities to help the poor and she really harnesses the good people that are willing to help them. And I think that's quite interesting. Um, you spoke about Mother Teresa and her um, really raising awareness around poverty and being a friend of poverty. See, the thing that people misunderstand when you say charity, it's kind of what's done on a Sunday via your church group. It, it's not something that's integrated into the way people think about the world. So if you look at a corporate and business, as Mother Teresa was saying, without mobilizing those resources, we cannot actually do the work we need to do to create a more socially cohesive society. So we don't want to create this animosity where it's either us or them and that it's, you know, business is taking all the money and they're sort of capitalist and they don't care about people or the government is totally kind of anti-citizenry. We're saying all of us need to come forward and do it. And what people often say to me is, I can't do your job. And I said, I haven't asked you to. I mean, please do your job well as the CEO of a major corporate so that that money that you make, you can then reinvest in the greater social cohesion and well-being of society. So it's a case that we all must work together and be able to see each other and not create these power relations. So the fact that someone like Mother Teresa could actually enter from a world of kind of humbleness and a world of kind of um, almost kind of this kind of austere kind of life where you are not worried about material things. The fact that she could talk in the world of materialism is very important because the material things do make material differences in the lives of people. And I think that the interesting thing about her and some of the, um, the interesting kind of uh, I suppose touch points, moral points that come out when you are driven by quite a personal motive, like a calling by God, is that one of the things that was said was that, well, you know, you can actually deal with the sort of impoverished conditions of the women of Calcutta by introducing birth control and not allowing people to just have child after child after child after child. Now, the difficulty is how do you manage that with a Catholic mind frame that is saying, you know, um, you can't be doing things like uh, family planning or you, you can't use contraception or you can't have terminations of pregnancy where those unplanned, unwanted pregnancies do not generally give rise to the empowerment of women and do not generally give rise to children who are well. Such an important point. It really is because if you think about it, um, 
it's also said that she was more recognizable than many of the popes. And yet she couldn't seen, be seen to, and it was against her value system, birth control, abortion, and, and, and those things which are against the Catholic faith. And I think um, thinking back to Melinda Gates and her presentation that she did in South Africa last year, she really um, worked very hard to to get women in rural villages onto birth control and conception. Um, conception and family planning and being a catholic the catholic church came out really really strongly against her and i think that really is is very very difficult because on the one hand you you know and you can see the effects of what is happening on the ground and yet you have this indoctrinated value system that simply doesn't allow you to to say take birth control or have family planning so it's a very interesting point her and the catholic church and 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 really what comes into it maybe time for a change i I think what you know what what the point that it highlights is is that people in the so-called charity sector they need to be extremely flexible and they need to know lots about lots of things. They need to be able to engage in a boardroom and go from that boardroom dealing with people who make multi-million or billion dollar decisions and sort of change the the landscape of the economy. And they need to move from that to being able to see and be around people who are really struggling with their material conditions like they don't have food. And the ability to find yourself in those two worlds and be able to traverse them is quite an art. And within that art, there is something about the fact that we know that the majority of the people who stay in these professions and who stick it out have a deep, deep personal motivation for what they do. Very few of us are here by accident. And that's in that narrative, in your personal story, that the meaning and purpose that gives you the longevity is present. But you always have to guard against the fact that that may skew your ethics, where what is happening is you see it through the eyes of your purpose, your meaning, and the things you are trying to achieve. And none of us are purely altruistic. Nobody. Because what happens is the meaning you get from it yourself is part of the reward that you get. It may not be monetary, but it's about a purpose-driven life. The challenge with that, though, is that if, for example, in the case of the Catholic Church, having less children does improve poverty because women are not empowered enough to make their own decisions within a particular culture, you can't go in and say, well, our religion can do something materially different. You have to recognize, as you said, that there might be a need for change, that there, there is a level at which you need to consider a bigger picture within that environment rather than just your purpose and your meaning and your set of values and ethics. And while that must drive you, it should not set the agenda for what you are trying to achieve. The agenda should be set by evidence research here in lots of different perspectives and much like you can traverse from being somebody who engages with the captains of industry and the person who can't feed themselves at the same time you have to be able to retain your faith and say that the world can coexist where things like contraception and terminations are actually called for because we don't want these either or conversations because it's the either or that breaks down the cohesion that we're attempting to create i think one of the greatest sort of criticisms of charity organizations has been that there'll be money available for a certain project, but it means that the charity or the nonprofit organization will have to almost change their focus and what they're doing in order to be eligible for that grant. And it's a little bit of a um, 
borrow from from Peter to pay Paul scenario. So you sort of think, well, if I am this nonprofit organization and I get that grant, I can take X amount of money from it to do the work that I'm doing, but I'll have to take on another project. And I think the, 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 the nonprofits that also really have lasted have been the ones who are able to say no. And so often in charity, people don't think that a charity can say no. And I think as nonprofits, we have to learn that no is actually a full sentence. And we cannot compromise on what we are doing because the funder wants us to do something fundamentally different. So the big sort of MBA corporate social investment speak, they're called about mission drift. So the, the idea of your mission drifting to kind of pursue money is a real problem in the nonprofit sector. And it happens in two ways. It happens with the state, where the state is discharged with a particular mandate via the legislation, and the state says they will fund ECD centers, child and youth care centers, whatever the case is, and they will then impose up to the point where, I mean, there's a talk of imposing and there's been sort of amendments, proposed amendments, saying that they will actually impose governance structures on NPOs. And what happens then is that, you know, that then drives the government agenda because the money drives it. But equally, the corporate world is also, well, also needs to think about the fact that they get driven because what happens is that the charity they choose is in some way aligned to their marketing strategy, which is aligned to their product, and it's a way to show you good so you can sell stuff. Rather than having a true engagement with a partner, and my, my thing is that when you outsource to a contractor, and you you get in the best contractor, and you you don't write up the plans for the contractor. The contractor does that. What is a nonprofit? We we are saying is that you are outsourcing your corporate social investment to the best. It's not a handout. It is an investment in the community you work in, and you need to listen to that community, and you need to trust those people who are making the investment on your behalf. So I think it's all around agency. And if if there's anything we're really planning to do in this podcast series is this is our very first episode. There'll be many more. But we've got guests coming in. And the idea is the guest will have agency because they are very much the expert in their field. So agency is so, so important. Very often we'll go into a community and decide this is what the community needs rather than listening and understanding what it is. Let the community tell you what they need rather than trying to be too prescriptive. And I think in ending off, because unfortunately we, we could talk for days and days about this, but it is also very much about languaging. And it is about teaching people what is acceptable and what really isn't acceptable. So when we look at languaging, it's really the under. So underprivileged, under-resourced. What can we look at differently when it comes to that? I think the most important thing is to recognize that the subjective human experience is one that is filled with struggle and filled with great hope and happiness and enjoyment. It's, it's a very diverse thing. And what we need to do is we need to be hearing what the experiences are rather than prejudging them. So the idea of underprivileged assumes that you are privileged and then implies somebody's underneath you. It's about the concept of going and having an alternative experience with a, with a human who is living a life that is not the same as yours. So going from Santon and spending time in Hillbrow discussing what it's like to live in Hillbrow rather than assuming, because the people in Hillbrow assume the people in Santon live in a certain way, which may also not be correct. And that idea that we 
we, we develop a community, say, for example, like we will be talking about when we get to the tourism sec- uh, section, creating a community that sees everybody as equal in terms of their right to have a fulfilling human experience regardless of their their circumstances and that if we can facilitate that we must and we must not undermine it at any level so we need to be we need to be assisting with agency and saying the world is full of suffering don't add to it and where you can try and relieve it recognizing that we are all limited mother Teresa really said that no acts of kindness is ever too small to have an impact and she encouraged people to go out into their own neighborhoods and to really look to listening and helping those in their own neighborhoods. And I think if there's anything we've learned during COVID is one example is mental health. So just certainly charity could just be giving somebody support in these very, very dark times because that is an act of kindness. So I think in terms of International Day of Charity, it's about doing something good, something kind for somebody else and just improving their lives, even just a little bit, because that small change will be a very significant change in the lives of somebody else. I think the the important thing as the take-home message is Mother Teresa said, if you want to get world peace, you need to start in your house and raise your family appropriately. So the idea where charity starts at home, and I think under COVID what happens is people had to engage together as families. And the families were closed up together. They couldn't bring in people from the outside. They couldn't send their children out. And I think that was an enormous opportunity. And what people have done is said that it has showed the ability for family connection. And families then, through that connection, as Mother Teresa also said, not doing great things, but small things with great love. And what, what I want to say to people is come and assist with what you are good at. That is the most important thing because we can all contribute to the improved subjective experience of people within the world that we are influencing our sphere of influence. So ahead of that, we are going to look at some great influences. So for September, we have got our next speaker who I'm in awe of, and her name is Nasipi Kafu, and she's with an amazing organization called Peace Plays International. She'll be our guest on the International Day of Peace on the 21st of September. And then for the rest of the month, we'll be, because it's Deaf Awareness, month we'll be looking at the international day of sign language with a special guest on the 23rd and finally we'll finish with one of my favorites which is tourism and we will be focusing on our beautiful city of gold with a very special guest who is dear to both karen and i and he will be here on the 27th of september so we thank you for joining us and we would really encourage you to like share post repost so that we can do more of what we're doing thank you very much for listening to the intro to society superheroes and we look forward to the engagement on www.societysuperheroes.co.za or on our facebook page society superheroes and then please subscribe to this podcast series have a lovely day Thanks so much, Luke. And on International Day of Charity, for those of us who've chosen for every day to be a day of charity, to all of the superheroes out there, the men and women who really are doing incredible work, thank you. Keep doing it. Know that you supported and know that you're greatly appreciated. Please subscribe and visit our website, www.societysuperheroes.co.za. Thanks for listening to Society Superheroes. 
celebrating the men, women and organizations that empower communities and uplift the lives of others. Please engage with us. We'd love to hear from you on www.societysuperheroes.co.za or on our Facebook page, Society Superheroes. And please subscribe to this podcast series.